Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with celebrated Los Angeles-based songwriter and guitarist Molly Miller. She has a new album coming out on May 3rd, 2024 called The Ballad of Hotspur. On this third album, it is an instrumental Americana jazz album tinged with surf rock and draws its name from a character in Shakespeare's Henry IV Part One, based on the 14th century English knight Sir Henry Percy, who fought in numerous battles against the French in the Hundred Years' War. He was given the nickname Hotspur as a tribute to his speed. She has been playing music since the age of seven, originally performing in a family band with her four siblings and drawing inspiration from the likes of Jimi Hendrix. Her story is a must. Enjoy. Hi. Hi, Molly. How are you? Good. How are y'all? Excellent. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for taking a minute out today. Um, I want to begin our conversation before we get into the new material by covering what all of the musicians had to go through for the last three and a half years surviving a pandemic. How did you get through it? And how did it subsequently change you? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, At the time, I'd say I was pretty uh, distraught, I'd say the first first period, because my life was taken away from me. I was actually having a conversation with someone about it yesterday. They were like, I feel like my shackles are off, like I'm out of prison. And I was like, that's a good way to describe it. But um, relatively speaking, my COVID was not as, was okay. I feel like I came out stronger and clearer and um, yeah, more, yeah, I'd say stronger and clearer. Thinking back to it, I survived by playing a ton of music with my brother. I was really fortunate. My little brother is an amazing drummer, Sammy Miller. So the two of us were quarantining together at our parents' house for the first like six months or so when it was the worst Mm -hmm. Um, and played so much music together. And I also taught a lot online. And so like the first chunk I was pretty, I was just like crying every day. I was like the tours, the music, the shows, my life. Like I went out every single night and saw music, played like 215 gigs a year. You know, it's like, that was how I lived. So I definitely, my life was as everyone's flipped upside down, but relatively speaking, I was really lucky. I still got to play a ton of music um, and I taught online. So I was still able to sustain myself. Um, Yeah. And now I'm I'm here now and it's like, oh yeah, God, I remember that, but it feels like a life. I know. And I'm getting to a point now where I don't even want to ask this question anymore, but I still believe there's a level of it that's probably relevant, at least through the middle part of this year, because it was so seismic. And I know personally, I ramped up my interviews and, some of the interviews with especially people in like Brooklyn or places where they were in these apartments where the novelty of playing an instrument started wearing on everybody around them. So there was just all of those aspects that were were very, very strange. Um, So I guess it it has to feel good to have a new album out now with live shows picking up, everything happening, the Ballad of Hotspur. Talk to me about how this album, the release feels. Yes. Oh my God. So the album officially comes out May, but we start to have, yeah, some singles, uh, the first singles out, the next singles out in a couple or in a week. Um, but oh, it's just like, I feel like this weight has been taken off of me. I feel free. Like we, with the music we wrote during the pandemic, um, and that also definitely helped me get through it. Like Jen, who is my, like my biggest writing partner, she's in the trio, Jennifer Condos. It's me, Jennifer Condos and Jay Bellarose. Um, but she, you know, at the start, she was 
she's wiser and older than me. And she was like, Molly, let's just use this time to write music, enjoy the space. You know, she was like, and looking back, I'm like, that's exactly like what I should have done and what I did do and what I'm thankful I did do thanks to Jen. So we wrote most of this music during the pandemic virtually. I'd write some songs alone, some songs she'd write me a piece and I'd write a piece. Um, so it feels like finally this music is out because we've been playing it for a couple of years now, you know, the first year just in my bedroom alone, but you know, then for a couple of years together. Uh, so yeah, it feels so good because yeah, now I'm like setting up tour dates. I was texting with Jay this morning about some shows in Nashville and, and on the Atlanta and stuff and trying to figure those out in New York. So yeah, I'm, I'd say great relief and excitement. Absolutely. Well, and the thing is, is that when I come in and I'm talking to you about this, you're probably already thinking about the possibility of the next thing down the road. Oh yeah. yeah. Yesterday I sent Jen a new song idea and yeah. she's going to write the B section. We already have a few tunes for our next record ready. Um, but it's it, like now I'm more used to that. So this yeah. time I'm trying to do it quicker. This like my goal this year is like to finish the bulk of new writing for a new record that we can then, you know, record and put out next year. Um, but yeah, right now, this moment, I'm most excited about putting the music out and sharing it. Yeah. So this is your third album with the trio, correct? Yeah, it's my third record. So talk to me a little bit about what you ultimately want the listener to get from this. I mean, obviously the backdrop is the pandemic, but it's uh, an evolution. It's new material. What do you want them to get? Yeah. You know, the, the slogan for our group, I'd say is bringing the instrumental back. You know, there was a time I think of like Booker T and the MGs or like Dwayne Eddy or think like uh, the Ventures, all these bands where like the instrumental, it was a song. And, uh, so I want that feeling to be there. And if there's obviously a level of musicianship that should be appreciated, but also to understand that the arrangements are very intentional. Um, and there's the, a little a little story. You know, when we were writing it, there was also this thought of uh, like an old Western and like the good, the bad and the ugly, like those kind of like Westerns, Morricone with, uh, so we, we have a, a a, a story in our head going on too while we're writing. It's supposed to be very cinematic. Yeah. So you started out playing music when you were seven in the family band. You got four siblings. So this is easy to say that this is a part of your DNA. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> for sure. It's like, I feel like, I don't know when you have self-realization like realization of self, but probably not that long before <laughs> seven years old. So yeah. when I when I think of myself, uh, yeah, I'd say my other limb is my guitar. Yeah. So what was the first, like, the early influences or the first show that you ever saw that blew you away? See, I'm very fortunate. My parents would take us out to see shows. So uh, we had last summer on the bus, we were like all on the bus with Jason Mraz. And I remember everyone's talking about their first show. And I'm like, God, like, I don't know what my first show is. I have a lot of really incredible early memories of seeing music. Um, but uh, you mean like the first time I remember seeing a show that was influential? Yeah, like the first one that blew you away that made you think, I want to do that on this scale or you're just inspired by what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm trying to, that's a hard question, because I have to think about when it became mine. You know, I yeah. think that's the difference of when it was like a family thing, and when it became mine. And like the first record where I was like, oh, guitar is my thing, not just like something I do with my family was Hendrix. 
And then, oh, like, and then I got real, I'm like, now it, it's like, then I was like really intentional. Like I wanted to go see No Doubt. I wanted to go, see, like I was like 13, 14. So you have yeah. to remember, it's not yeah. going to be like, like, yes, I also saw Aretha Franklin and Stevie Wonder and those shows were, and John Mayer, like all these people for me that were like amazing. John Mayer was a big one. But like when I was like 13, 14, it was like Red Hot Chili Peppers, No Doubt, Some 41, Blink-182, Green Day, like going to those shows. Yeah, um, yeah I have a vivid memory. It was some 41 green day and blink 182 and this is like 13 year old molly who has like a stratocaster and like is so excited because like it, it's it was mine yeah you know it's interesting i was talking to someone about john mayer the other day because he is seismic with the way he does his thing he has a great vibe and i remember when he was starting to get big they did some 2020 special on him and at one point he said in the early days when I was in my bedroom, I would play the guitar like I was in front of hundreds of thousands of people. And he said, now that that's happening, I play on stage like I'm in my bedroom again, you know? And it was so interesting, the kind of the polarities of this thirst for fame. And then when you get it, you're like, well, I just want to go to this native place that made me feel comfortable all these years. Yeah. You know? That what? makes sense. Yeah. So what about Pat Metheny? Has he been on your radar? Oh yeah, I mean, actually, I feel fortunate. I've seen him. I haven't seen him in a while, but I've seen him before, and he's amazing. Um, he is not one of my like go-to guitar players, yeah. But he's definitely an incredible guitar player. I've learned his songs, I've studied his guitar playing, um, and I have great respect for him. But if you're like, what are your top ten favorite guitar players? I'm sorry, Pat, you're not on my top ten, but it's nothing. Like he's an incredible guitar player. It's just like yeah. what hits you when. I feel like so much right. of it is. That. Well, like, I I get that sense. If Hendrix was the first mover. Matheny's a different vibe. And and I asked that because I moved to his hometown of Lee Summit, Missouri, right before the pandemic started. And I really talked about being from there. And there are so many people that have stories about Pat. And it's so wow. weird because around that time, they released a book here in Kansas City about his early days in high school and how he was so prolific, even when he was in high school. He was everywhere. All the old cats knew him. He was just all over the place. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. No, I love Pat. Pat Metheny's great. But like when it comes to like jazz guitar players, I, I just was actually talking about this, like early influential guitar players. And like Grant Green was like my my introduction to jazz. It's like so much like who is your teacher at the time and, and who are you around that introduces you to music and what hits you in that moment? So it was more like Grant Green, uh, Jim Hall, Schofield, Wes, of course, Django. Like those are some of the uh, Johnny Smith. I love his solo guitar playing. Joe Pass, of course, for solo guitar playing. Um, but those were some of the more like early influences for jazz guitar. Have you ever seen Bill Frizzell live? Yes, I actually, I, totally. Bill Frizzell's also amazing. And one another one of my favorite guitar players, Julian Lodge. I saw a duo show yeah. up there right before the pandemic. And they're two giants. I saw Bill on the, I believe it was the 8th of March of 2020, before any of us knew this was going to happen. And there was still this weirdness in the air. Like, we were like, uh-oh, like, we're like a bunch of cattle in a field waiting for the tornado. Like, it's coming. But yeah. I, but the way he would pull the strings on his guitar was so, I've never seen that before. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he'll like pluck them. He is yes. like aggressive. It's part of his sound. It's cool. Yeah. It's like how, because I mean, every instrument's physical, but um, I, 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 as guitar players, I think we can get really like nerdy about gear and things. And 
Bill does such a good job of just being like, there's so much you can do just on the guitar, which is something I really like to do of just like the the rhythmic and tonal and varies and timbres you can get with just the guitar before you start clicking your feet with all these crazy pedals. Yeah. And I, I just had never seen that before. I mean, I'd seen some maneuvering, but it was like he was trying to pull that thing apart. It was bizarre, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. He digs in. But it, but it works. So at the end of the day, what is it that you like the best about being a professional musician? There's all these aspects. You record, you play live, you educate younger musicians. But what do you look forward to the most every day? Playing my guitar. You know, obviously, like, my favorite, uh, I fell in love with music performing. I mean, playing, it's hard because, like, what makes me feel the best is like sitting in my bedroom and just practicing. Like when I just have like a whole morning to just play guitar and it's not like I have to learn tunes or like that for me is like the deepest therapy session you could possibly imagine. Um, but I love performing. Obviously, I love recording. I feel so grateful that I get to teach. I teach at USC and where I studied and I get to work with all these amazing students. I teach online and, and work with students from all over the world, like truly the world. Uh, and that all brings me so much joy and and the truth is it's it's all of it it's not just one thing but uh if it's like you can only do one of the things i feel like perform yeah uh, i love i love performing music uh and the it's just such a reflection especially the most of the music i play where there's like improvised elements and a very a, a lot of intensity of like listening to people around you um that that is the most exciting thing to me so you've spent years playing with some heavy hitters. You mentioned Jason Mraz, and there's all these musicians that you've been around that have been older than you. What do you ultimately want? Because when you're teaching these students, you're obviously older and wiser than them. What do you ultimately want to impart on the younger musicians from your perspective? What do you want them to get about it? Um, I almost, yeah, there's all the technique stuff. and But like, I, I think the thing that's easy to get wrapped up in is fear number one of uh, being af afraid. And I think we all go through that, especially as musicians, there's a lot of pressure to sound a certain way or be a certain way and to get all these things down. But it's like to, to rid yourself of fear and to tap into the joy. I try to do that every time I pick up my instrument uh, because yeah, like to me, playing music is the most joyous thing. And even when you're expressing a form of sadness or solid, rid of fear, tap into joy. Yeah, for sure. Let me ask you this. If you could get into a time machine and go back in time and see any musician uh, on a stage, where are you going? Where are you going to click on that time machine? What digits? <laughs> Oh God, this is a hard question. It's it, I, now I thought you were going to say like, just to see a bunch of musicians. Like I, there's, that's so hard because like there's, yeah. You no, I mean, you can string it together. You can, we, we okay. could call this like a, like a, a long distance Lollapalooza or whatever. We could do it that way. Yeah. It, it's a funny thing. There's this, um, have you seen a night in Paris? Yeah. There's this scene where like, uh, Owen Wilson's like back in time and he, I forget who he's talking to but he's like finally back in the 1920s and he's so happy and he's talking to someone and they're like oh god if only we could go back to the 1890s life was so much better then yeah. and it's easy to romanticize but this question is more specific about what music I'd see I mean who do I want to see there's like 
I'd love to see a Hendrix live because he's like the reason I believe guitar is cool. Sister Rose at a Tharp. Oh my God. Like she's a big influence for me too. If I could see her live. Yeah. The Beatles, of course, Leon Russell in his heyday. Oh my God. I'm also like in love with him, but yeah. yeah, 50 years ago in this early seventies. So I don't know what year that's like, I I feel Rose Sister Rose at a Tharp may be the queen for me. So that's the forties. And then you get a ton of amazing jazz musicians then too. So yep. yeah, obviously, yeah, I could go and see Charlie Christian, like invent jazz guitar, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, oh. Yeah. There's so many. So speaking of that warm feeling from like Charlie, what is it that you love about jazz? It's, I think the immediacy of it, like, but it's not fair. See, I sometimes get, I sometimes don't like, uh, I mean, obviously I'm on neon jazz, um, but like to me, like the joys I get from jazz, like I find, I tend to play music that also has those same rules, but there's so many reasons I love, I love playing the music and studying the music. There's all these songs I love. I mean, I was talking about it yesterday, like all these old songs from the 20s and 30s and 40s. Like when, I, when I'm learning new jazz tunes, they're mostly old tunes like that. Like it's only a paper moon. Uh, I'm going to sit right down and write myself a letter. Uh, like dream a little dream of me. All the, uh, you go to my head, like all these, all these tunes, like God, they just melt me. Yeah. And, you know, the harmony, the melody, the lyrics, like they melt me. But then also, I think I want to say the freedom. It feels so cliche, like the freedom that you have to do so much with the song, yeah. uh, you know, to reinvent the song, which is something I love doing um, to, to take it and you can make it your own and explore how the harmony can can work together and what you can do, what the possibilities are. And then when you play it with with others, there's that same freedom. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, and, and this is coming from someone that's not a musician. I'm always blown away by how often musicians want to cover songs that they're they're bespeckled by these old songs. Because there's a part of me that feels like the community of musicians, whether it's jazz or otherwise, wants to come up with their own original stamp. But I guess it's always about standing on the shoulders of giants because you can learn so much from that that would feed into your originality. Yeah, I think it's really important for me and for most players to to do both. Like studying songs and arranging songs is something I get so much joy from. And you learn, like you look at harmony, melody, how they work together. Uh, what? Why is the song great? Maybe it's something, and you can really learn from that. I think it's super important to study songs. Um, and they inform your own songwriting too, but then also, yeah, to write your own tunes because then you have your own voice that, that can be furthered by your compositions. Yeah. So at the end of the day, Molly, everyone has a perception of you, family, friends, fans, students, but you run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Oh my gosh. It's fun. I remember once having this conversation, a professor's like, are you just what people think you are? (laughs) That's the thing. (laughs) Right. Who am I? I'm a a fun loving musician, a great tennis player too. I mean, um, there no, you I, go. What am I? It's hard because like, how do I think of myself? Yeah. Guitar, tennis, 
family, vegetarian, you know, it's like I have these things, but that's, I always struggle with those personality tests too, because it's so like, how do I feel in that moment? Like answering a question of how you are, it's like, how am I in this exact moment will be different in five minutes. You know, I answer the question differently, but I'm, I I take everything I do really seriously with joy and love, but uh, what is it? You take the work seriously, but not yourself seriously or something that has playfulness that exists in everything you do for me like that's true to me of like the playfulness and lightness that comes with it but the seriousness of whatever whatever you take on um whether that be in yeah my relationships or my obviously my music because uh yeah like I, I mean I think about when you show up somewhere and someone is is not really there that's one of the least fun places to be so I try to be present wherever I am yeah, it's a great answer. So you you went around the personality test and just drew an arrow and said, this is my answer. Because <laughs> I don't like those either. I just don't. It's just you get pigeonholed and you're like, come on. Why can't yeah. there be like an answer in between this? Why does it have to be so black and white? I, yes. I, it's gray. Let's just get in the grays. I know, like, I know, and sorry, this is probably the wrong reference, but I think of like Sex in the City. It's like, we're not one of those characters. Uh-huh. We're all four. That's it. Right. It's a, it's a mix of everything. You want, you want all the ice cream flavors. So at the end of the day, the album's going to be coming out here in the deep spring. Tell everybody where's the best place, live yeah. shows, everything. Okay. May, when does this podcast come out? Because I found out yesterday really exciting news. So it, it's going to be pretty quick, probably here within a week. Okay. Well, I, I think I'm like, I don't know if I can announce it, but I'll just say this. Okay. So album comes out May 3rd. Yep. I'm, I'm doing some tour dates with the trio in May. We're going to go up the coast, sorting out uh, Seattle, Portland, whether that's in May or in the fall, going to do an East coast, like New York, Atlanta, Nashville sort of run as well in May. Um, and then I will be uh, very. I will be opening for a six-week-long tour as well, July, August. So if it, if I haven't announced it yet, then uh, stay tuned because I'm okay. super excited. I just found out yesterday that the trio is doing a six-week-long run, opening for an artist. So very good, very very good. Okay, so thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Have a wonderful release. Do you do anything special on release day? I'm trying to get a show. I think that's okay. the best way to spend it or else I'll be like, there's always something a little lonesome. And it's weird. Like when big things happen, like a big show or I'm this big release, like I always feel so alone and sad. Yeah. It's just not in a, not in a bad way. Just in a, that's what it is. So I'm trying to book a show in San Francisco, May 3rd. That's what I'm working on right now. It's, that, it's that, Yeah. It's that whole buildup thing. It's like, when I get to Christmas, it's like, my God, we spent the last six weeks getting ready for this. And it's like, we're here and this is it. This is all we got. I know. <laughs> it's weird. So, so yeah, weird. I want to play a show that day so I don't have to feel my feelings. That's that's the plan. That's it. That's what we do. You know, we, we got we to gotta placate and take care of it. So <laughs> <laughs> this has been great, Molly. Thank you so much for your time, for your story. And g- good luck with the release and live shows and the big shows. And we'll, we'll, we'll stay on the radar and make sure that we, you know, when this is fully announced, we can add as an, as an addendum. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Los Angeles, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Molly for her time, energy, and cool. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends.
Theon Jez.